The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, November 10th, 2019, on the basis of Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. They all have different hosts. And they all have different premises and plot lines, and they're all filmed in different cities and air on different TV stations. But they all have the same ending. I'm talking about any of the number of different shows that have been created over the years that all revolve around the idea of giving people a brand new home. It might be Fixer Upper with Chip and Joanna Gaines might be Property Brothers with Jonathan and Drew Scott. It might be Extreme Makeover Home Edition with host Ty Pennington. It could be Love It or List It. It could be House Hunters. It could be Renovation Raiders. No matter the show, they all end the same way with the big reveal. The family who is the subject of that particular episode is given a room-by-room tour of their brand-new house. And out of the relatively small number of episodes that I've seen of shows like that, there is one thing that I've never seen at the end of the show. I've never seen a family disappointed. I've never seen them look at their brand new house and just sort of yawn and shrug their shoulders, say, meh. I mean, it's nice and all, but the one that we were in, I kind of prefer that. I've never seen it. I suppose it probably has happened, but I've never seen it before. I have seen people have that very reaction with a different home. We Christians are very accustomed to talking about heaven as our home. And I've seen it from both Christians and non-Christians alike, that based on what they think, what they assume heaven is going to be, when they are confronted with the idea of spending an eternity there, they're kind of disappointed. In fact, I just heard it again a couple of weeks ago. I was listening to an interview with famous outspoken atheist Richard Dawkins. He's got a brand new book out, by the way. And in this interview, Richard Dawkins not only made the statement that he doesn't believe heaven is a real place, although he certainly believes that, he said that even if it were, even if it were, he's not sure he would want to live there. Not just billions, not just trillions of years, but an entire eternity in this sort of vague, nebulous, spiritual place somewhere up in the sky. I believe the word that he used was boring. Actually, he's, he's British, maybe you know, so it, it kind of sounded like this. How dreadfully boring. <laughs> Sorry, that's my bre- best British accent. Is that true, though? Is that true? I mean, we know that given the choice between heaven and the other place, we'd we'd probably pick heaven, but is that really all it is? Better than the alternative? When we think about it, when we picture it in our minds, the idea of spending an eternity there, is that kind of a disappointment? We're right in the middle of this series that's entitled, What Will Jesus Undo? And as I mentioned last week, in a word, this series is all about hope. Hope, again, is that very simple but very powerful conviction that things are going to get better. And yet, as I mentioned last week, that simple but powerful conviction sort of forces us to ask two questions. How much 
and says who. Things are going to get better, but how much and says who. Last week, we answered those questions in relationship to our future selves. We looked at those verses from Revelation 21 where John gave us a glimpse of the brand new you that is in store for us. A you where all of your weaknesses, all of your sins are stripped away and the you that God sees now is fully revealed, a child of God, a saint in his sight. This week we're going to look at those very same questions as it pertains to another part of our future. We're going to look at those questions as it pertains to our future home. You might say that these verses, which come from the very last chapter of the entire Bible, by the way, are sort of like the end of any one of those home renovation or home remodeling shows. They are the big reveal. John is your host. John is your tour guide. And he wants you to take a good look at your brand new home. How much better is it going to be than our current home? Well, in order for us to understand these verses from Revelation 22, we need to understand that here at the very end of the Bible, much of the same language is used that was used at the very beginning of the Bible. So you maybe even know that the very first verse of the Bible goes like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so now here at the very end, as we started this vision last week, John says that he saw a new heavens and a new earth. In the beginning, God created the universe and everything in it, this beautiful, perfect home where we were to live. And in the end, he's going to do it again. He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth, a real physical place where we are going to spend eternity. I'm not sure we always get that right. When we think about the future that is in store for us, when we think about what happens when a, person's die, a person dies, we often talk of, about that person going off to heaven, and rightly so. But when we talk about what happens after Judgment Day, we need to talk about something different, not just this vague, nebulous, spiritual place somewhere up there in the sky, but a very real, very physical home that God is going to create, a new heavens and a new earth. In the very same way, when we talk about what happens to a person when they die, we often talk about their body staying here on earth and going into the ground and their soul or their spirit going off to God. And and rightly so, that's what happens. But when we talk about what is in store for us on the other side of eternity, we need to talk about something different. We need to talk about the very thing Jesus talked about in today's gospel. On the last day, there is going to be a resurrection. There is going to be a reunion of our bodies and our souls. God is going to put them back together. So we are going to spend eternity, not just as spiritual beings. We don't turn into angels. We're not going to spend forever flapping our wings, floating around on clouds and playing harps. Even more than that, we're not just like little drops of water that get swallowed back up into the ocean that is the universe, as some people like to think. No, the you that you are today, body and soul together, that is the you you are going to be in eternity. Of course, as we saw last week, a much better you, a you where all of your sin and all of your weaknesses has been stripped away, but a you that is every bit as much you as you are sitting here today, body and soul reunited. In that new heavens and in that new earth, John sees a river. You might remember that in in the beginning, there was a river as well. A river is obviously a source of water. A river is also 
a limitless source of water. A river never runs out, or at least it it hopefully doesn't run out. It just keeps coming more and more. A river provides an endless supply of one of the things that we need most in life. And notice how this river in the new heavens and the new earth flows straight out from the throne of God. So in heaven, God is going to provide in limitless supply everything that he created us to need. All of those things that delight our senses, all of those things that fill up our hearts. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I do know that I don't want to be in charge of it because no matter how great I might make it, it wouldn't be good enough. God is in charge. He created us. He knows what we need. And so thankfully that river is coming from him. Finally, John sees a tree, a tree of life. You might remember that in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, there was a tree of life. You might also remember that when Adam and Eve sinned, God blocked the way to that tree of life so that they could not eat from it. In the new heavens and the new earth, we have full access to the tree of life. We get to eat from its fruit, which is produced round the clock every year. Twelve different types of fruit for twelve different months of the year. And the leaves, John sees, the leaves are for the healing of the nations. The leaves of that tree of life take every ailment that we have, every ache, and pain, every weakness and frailty that we experience as human beings, and they make it all go away. In heaven, the curse of sin will be lifted, and death will be no more. Death, that greatest and most dreadful enemy that we face. Death that is able to take even the best of the things that we experience here in this life and bring them to an abrupt end. Death that takes the people that we love most in this life and rips them from our arms. Death will be no more. A new heavens and a new earth, a real physical place where the real physical you can live for all eternity, where all of your needs are satisfied and where it never comes to an end. Take a good look at your brand new home. As we saw again last week, It's a home that you have to wait for. But in the meantime, don't settle. As I mentioned last week, one of the biggest problems with what most people think about in terms of their hope for the future is that they set their expectations far too low. They settle for far too little. They settle for just ever so slight, gradual, incremental improvements of our current home here on this earth. If only we could achieve world peace. If only we could make poverty and hunger go away once and for all. If only we could clean up our oceans and clean up our atmosphere, then this home would be the place where we want to live. Now rest assured, we as Christians have every reason in the world to want to see those things happen and to work to see those things happen. But friends, rest assured, those things are not big enough. Those things are not good enough to satisfy our hope. If that's the extent of our hope, it would be sort of like living in a house where the beams are all rotting and the drywall is all molding and the roof is leaking and the foundation is cracking. But in order to make it a more pleasant place to live, you went around and just put a fresh coat of paint on everything and thought, oh, that's, that's good enough. Friends, even, if, even with our best efforts to make this world a better place, It is not able to live up to the expectations we should have for our better, brighter future. 
I can understand why we sometimes think that. I mean, it's all we know, right? It's all we've ever experienced. And let's be honest, sometimes this home, sometimes this earthly life can be really good. And so it's no wonder that at times we end up dedicating all of our energy and attention to making it as great as it can possibly be. It's no wonder that at times we might look at what the Bible says about heaven and sort of yawn and shrug our shoulders and think that it sounds like a little bit of a disappointment. But if that's the case, if that's what we do, rest assured that the problem is not with this brand new home. The problem instead is with us. Christian author C.S. Lewis once used this illustration. He said, imagine a house that is completely dark. All the lights are off, the blinds are all shut, and there's one single candle burning in that otherwise completely dark house. That candle represents every last thing that we enjoy about life on earth. Everything that delights our senses, the beautiful sceneries of mountains and oceans, the soaring sounds of a symphony, the savory smells and tastes of gourmet food, represents everything that fills up our hearts, the side-splitting laughter we enjoy, the deep, profound conversation we engage in with good friends, the gentle touch and the warm embrace of the people that we love. That candle seems pretty dark when, or I'm sorry, seems pretty bright when everything else is dark. What the Bible tells us is that one day the light from that candle will be gone. It will be invisible. But not because the candle is put out. Only because one day all the lights in the house are going to be turned on. And the curtains are going to be opened up and the blazing light of the sun is going to come shining in and suddenly that candle that once seemed so bright, the light from that candle is barely visible. It certainly isn't needed anymore because of how bright and how light everything is. I don't know exactly what the new heavens and the new earth is going to be like. Again, I am so thankful it is far above my pay grade. But rest assured, it is going to eclipse even the best of what we can ever experience here on this life even the best of what we might experience in our current home, cannot hold a candle, you might say, to the eternal home God has in store for us. That's how good it's going to be. Says who? That's the other important question that we, again, need to answer. Says who? Not only who says that this home is even going to exist in the first place, but who says that we are going to get to live in it. I hope so far, even with what I've mentioned, this vision of heaven seems like a place that, that sounds exciting and a place where you want to live, but I haven't even mentioned the best part yet. John tells us that Jesus is going to be there. And not only is Jesus going to be there, but we're going to get to see him face to face. I can only imagine what that's going to be like, getting to see Jesus face to face. For the purposes of this question, says who, what we need to take notice of is what John refers to Jesus as. The most common designation used in the book of Revelation for Jesus, John refers to him as the Lamb. That title for Jesus highlights one specific facet of who he is and what he's done for us. It's not how powerful he is, not how smart he is, it's not how inspiring and comforting his words might be. That designation, the Lamb, calls our attention to one thing, his sacrifice for us. He gave his life for ours. He died so that we get to live. 
Who says that we get to enter into this eternal home? Well, every last thing that would exclude us from that home, and of course the list is really, really long, every last thing has been paid for. There's nothing that you need to do to get in. Admission is absolutely free. In fact, John sees Jesus do something even more than that. He sees Jesus come over and write his name on the foreheads of everyone who lives in the new heavens and the new earth. I don't know if that's going to be a literal thing. Sounds kind of strange. Maybe it's just a symbolic thing. Either way, don't miss the point. If your name is on something, it means it belongs to you. And so if Jesus' name is on you, it means that you belong to him and everything that is his belongs to you. In fact, we might even picture a house. You pull up to a house and you you pull over to the, the side of the street. You pull up to the curb and right there at the mailbox, at the curb, there's a name on the mailbox. You walk up the driveway and maybe there's one of those big stones in one of the flower beds that has writing engraved on it. And on that stone, there's a name that's written there. And then you walk up to the front porch and there's one of those rustic wood signs that says, Welcome the kind of sign that you might make, for example, at your favorite local do-it-yourself craft studio here in Mount Horb. Sorry. But it's got a name on it, right? It's got a name on it. You know whose house that is. So what happens if the name that is on that house is also the name that is on you? What happens if that's your name? And not just a a common, ordinary name that a lot of people have that you might be able to fake and lie that you're a member of the family, something like Smith or Jones, but a really unusual one that no one has. What happens if that's your name and the same name on the house? More importantly, what happens if the name that is recorded on some deed in some office somewhere in Dane County is also the name that is officially recorded in a nearby office on your birth certificate? What happens if it's the name on your passport and on your driver's license? You know what that means. That means that you get in. It means that that house is not just a house, that house is your home. Friends, that's what Jesus is going to do for us. In fact, that's what Jesus has already done for us. Not in a a literal way, not in a visible way, but certainly in a real way. That in your baptism, Jesus scooped you up in his arms and said, This is my child now. Put his name on you in invisible but nonetheless permanent ink. He has declared that you are his child. His name is on you, which means that this house, this new heavens and new earth is not just a house. It will be your eternal home. Now, as I mentioned last week, some people might look at this, this idea that our hope is so focused on the future and might actually use it as a point of criticism that if this is everything that we're hoping for, that we're not going to lift a finger to try and make our current home any better than it is. In fact, there's another very famous and outspoken atheist who said this. An atheist believes that a hospital should be built instead of a church. An atheist believes that a deed must be done instead of a prayer said. An atheist strives for involvement in life and not escape into death. He wants disease conquered, poverty vanquished, war eliminated. In response, I would first of all say that I didn't know it had to be an either-or choice between those two things. And second of all, I would say that we as Christians have all the reason in the world and in fact are uniquely equipped Not just to look forward to our eternity in heaven, but to do all we can to make life here in this home as good for us and as good for people as we possibly can. Just for example, if you realize 
that when you look at people, what makes them the people that they are is not just what's on the inside, not just their mind or their spirit or their soul or their heart or their feelings, but that their physical bodies are as much a part of them as anything else. You are able to recognize in them a dignity and you are able to provide to them a benefit that you can't possibly provide if you think that that physical body is just a burden they're weighed down with or something that they are trapped in, or something that they should try and escape. In fact, what more reason do we need to try and provide for the physical needs of people than recognizing that God is the one who made them body and soul together, and God is the one who will reunite body and soul at the resurrection. What's even more than that, if we are looking forward to this new heavens and this new earth, we are set free from the endless pursuit of trying to make this life everything that we want it to be. If this life is all there is, why would I spend a single second of it living for anyone other than me? We are liberated to live in service to others. And maybe most importantly of all, when this life, in spite of of our best efforts and intentions, still disappoints, and I have a feeling that no matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, it always will, we are able to deal with it. This hope, our hope, is the equipment that we need in order to be able to cope with whatever challenges, frustrations, tears, sadness, tragedies this life might throw at us. And so, friends, yes, we have to wait for this brand new home to be given to us. We have to wait for this brand new home to be revealed to us. In the meantime, don't lower your expectations one bit. Don't settle for anything less. And in the meantime, once again, just watch and see the difference it makes in your life. Amen.